Welcome to the Waste Not Want Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild our relationship with nature, revitalising our natural resources by minimising waste and maximising human potential. I trust you'll discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future that you can cultivate and transform to suit your own lifestyle so we can collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You can find the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philippaross.com. Hello Waste Busters, welcome to episode 5. The theme today is water and I'm kicking off this episode with a few items of fantabulous news for marine life. A High Court judge has temporarily stopped Shell from seismic testing for oil and gas along the east coast of South Africa while a final decision is being reviewed. A marine protection area in Costa Rica's Cocoa Island has been extended to 55,000 square kilometres. And I've just discovered a New Zealand company called Salt of the Earth who are using bio-based regenerative materials to make packaging that can be organically recycled at home or composted commercially. And it's a great way to reduce the plastic that often ends up in our ocean. I've just one tip I'd like to share today, and that's to be mindful of the water you use and grateful for this magnificent life force that quite literally supports all life. I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest, Vida Austin, who I've known for about 10 years. Her revolutionary work combines art and science to reveal the secret intelligence of water. She discovered the healing powers of water and in the process reconnected to her own divinity, expanding her artistic skills into becoming a water researcher and crystallographer. She's a vibrant soul who describes water as a conscious life force that has the wisdom and intelligence to help us connect to ourselves and the world around us. Welcome to the show, Vida. Thank you so much for joining us. So um, you have an, quite an extraordinary story um, and quite an extraordinary path that you're following being a water researcher amongst other things. So what inspired you to go along that track? Well, that's a, uh, there's a lot that could be said in that one question. But I think I'll just I'll start from my curiosity. And so I, I was very curious because I had a healing experience with water. What made that water resonate with my body so much to heal it in such a profound way because I had tried lots of different types of water along my journey of health and wellness and this one particular water did some really incredible things and we can get into that later if you like but from that it really I started looking at the analysis of what's in water and what maybe made it so different. It had a naturally high pH of 9.9, it had bicarbonate, it had various different minerals and various things in it. But I was looking, as I was looking at the analysis, I came to the realization that what I was looking at was an analysis of what water held, what it was holding. But then I asked the question, what is water? And so I started doing more research in the newer field of the new science of water, and there really is one, and it's um, quite profound. So my mentor and very dear friend, Dr. Gerald Pollack, he wrote a book called The Fourth Phase of Water. So there is essentially a liquid, solid, gas, and a type of gel or plasma. 
and that is the kind of water that is in our cells. And that type of fourth phase water has very specific um, kind of characteristics. It has negative charge, it absorbs more light, it has more viscous, um, and so it, and it is kind of like a little battery in, it, in the way in which it, it behaves, and I can talk about that in more depth later as well. But the interesting thing about the fourth phase of water is that it's kind of like you can see it as water begins to freeze as well. So when water is molecular chaos, which is what it when it's in its liquid form, and as it begins to go into um, a kind of organized molecular structure, which is what it is when it becomes a crystal. Most people don't know this, but ice that forms naturally is actually called um, a mineral. It's defined as a mineral because of its molecular makeup. So as water is kind of going from molecular chaos to molecular order, it, there's this space in between, which I call a state of creation, but which is often called this fourth phase, where water isn't exactly a solid, but it's not exactly a liquid either. And so I was very interested in what he was talking about. And then, of course, at around, because uh, I've been doing this for eight and a half years, and back then that was when Masaru Emoto's work was coming out. And he was not embraced, really, by the scientific community. I won't get into why, but what he did do was really open the door for really thousands and thousands of people to see themselves as bodies of water that are impacted and affected by thoughts and environment and right. sound and various different things. And so his work was very, shown very much in contrast. For example, he would play... Um, he would play heavy metal, verse it with classical music, and look at how the water behaved once it froze. So, for example, he would take a cup of water that had the word love on it, and a cup of water that had the word hate on it, and take a minute part of that, flash freeze it, and then look through a microscope and photograph what he saw. And so, for the word love, he would see these beautiful geometric patterns for the word hate that was there was really no structural formation and so this was a very much a, a contrasting visual mm. and there are many photos like that that he shared in his book the man I think that inspired me personally more his name is Laurent Costa he considered water to be his spiritual teacher and so he didn't want to influence or experiment with water because he believed that water was essentially a, a living thing. So he invited water to just share whatever it wanted with him. And what he got in his images, in his photos, were really remarkable because water didn't form just geometries, which you can imagine, um, it's very similar to uh, snowflakes. Snowflakes look very beautiful and geometric and they're gorgeous. So he did get those kinds of patterns, much like a moto, but what really intrigued me were the designs that he got. So he got faces, these beautiful, cute, happy faces, and he had fish, and he had um, this imperfect heart. And he shares these photos in his book called Journey into the Heart of Water. Wow. And so when I saw these pictures that were designed in the ice, 
because I worked professionally as a as an artist. I did big oil and canvas paintings for hotels and restaurants and companies and design stamps for post for 15 years. That's what I did professionally. So I see the world from a very artistic perspective. Right. So when I saw the geometries, I thought they were beautiful. But when I saw a happy face, it made me feel happy. When I saw a heart, it made me feel something different. And so then the third person that inspired me to really start researching myself um, was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus. Thomas was a radionic engineer and he observed something really interesting. When he went into a Parisian meat market, he observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind them. Wow. So, for example, um, a the frost would, would form in the shape of a liver when above an actual liver organ and so on and so forth. And his idea was that even though the organs were no longer attached to an animal, there was still some kind of life force energy emanating out of them because there is water in the blood. Right. What was interesting about Thomas's work and observations essentially were they were macroscopic. So he was seeing this with his naked eye, he wasn't using a microscope. And that was encouraging me because back then I had no microscope, but I really wanted to investigate for myself because I think people try things for themselves and not believe everything that they're told or read, but mm -hmm. find what, they, what the truth is for them through their own self-inquiry and self-discovery. And so I thought, well, I'm, the secret seems to be in the freezing process. And there is a saying very much in alignment with that where which is nature hides her secrets well. And so there is a very incredible secret that is revealed as water begins to freeze. And so my very first uh, attempt at this was that I had a dish and I had some water that the water that had healed me. And I'm going to cover this now because people always ask and I often forget to mention it. I do use many, many different types of water. I don't just use that type of water that healed me. I have used a, a lot of different waters over the course of my eight and a half years um, for this process. And so I thought, well, I'm just gonna project a thought into the water and I'm going to freeze it. And that was about as basic as it came and that was what, I, what my plan was. But I noticed that there was a little bit of fluff floating around in the water so I put my hand in and to take out the fluff and I consciously thought, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote unquote memory. Yeah. Because back then I really didn't know if it did, it appeared to have some kind of way of storing information, but I hadn't seen it for myself. And so then I froze it in with the ice cream and the peas and the broccoli and the frozen stuff in the freezer. And I forgot about it for a while. And I came back to it a few hours later with zero expectation of what I would see. And I held it up to the light and I took a photo of it on my iPhone. And I was kind of freaked out actually when I first saw this image because it was of a very, very clear hand that took up half of the Petri dish. So in macroscopic terms, this is huge. And it wasn't just any old hand. I inherited my mother's slightly bent fingers and um, so the fingers of the hand were bent in the places that mine are. And so it was very specific to my hand. And so 
I went and I, I showed my son Rama the photo because he didn't know what I'd done. He didn't even know what he was looking at. And I said, what does this look like to you? Because I was just wanting to make sure it wasn't just me. And he said, oh, it's a hand, mum. Like I was stupid. It was like, of course it's a hand. He said, it's kind of a creepy looking hand because it actually kind of looked like an x-ray. Um, it, was, it was very interesting. And so then I went down to the beach and I collected some seawater because I thought if any water is going to be naturally informed, it will be seawater. Mm -hmm. And I froze a thin layer of that. And I saw a, a, this fish with a perfectly round eye and gills and fins and a tail. And it was really like at that moment where I'm like, okay, this is there's something here. And that's when my freezer became my most used household appliance. And I started choosing, you know, just all these different kinds of waters. I started to use different types of inspiring influences prior to the freeze. Yeah. And you'll notice that in my terminology, I, I, I avoid saying the word experiment because yeah. I'm a water that doesn't want to be experimented on. And I give the same respect to the water that I'm working with because I keep seeing responses in the ice that are incredibly sophisticated and intelligently designed to be not just um, so so I want to add that these are recognizable images mm -hmm. and so it, they're not just me just trying to make make it out they're very obvious right and that's what makes this work so unique in that these are macroscopic images that are designed by the building blocks of ice as water begins to freeze. And so back then, that's where I used to freeze water completely. And as I became more and more familiar with the new science of water and this state between liquid and ice, I began to ask myself, perhaps you're missing something in this process, like how is water doing this? What am I potentially missing? So I started to open my freezer earlier and earlier and earlier to see if I could see what was going on in there. And by this time, I already had hundreds of photos of water responding in various different ways, whether it's to thoughts, whether it's to pictures, whether it's to music, uh, whether it's to words. And so I, I, I knew that water was doing something amazing, but I've come to realize that completely freezing water was a very primitive beginning and, and it still amazes me that I got as many images as I actually did because right. the way I do this now my technique has completely changed because of a discovery that I made as I was opening and opening the freezer earlier and earlier and earlier so my technique now and I have a body of over 16,000 photos of water responding intelligently now the actual technique is under five minutes. And I realized something, that as water begins to freeze, it splits into two types of water, informed water and uninformed water. They're simply titles that I've given to this process because that's kind of how I see it and it makes sense to me. The fun thing about discovering things for the first time is you get to name them what you want. And so, <laughs> And so I also say that because I observed that the water that was to share the most information 
adhered to the bottom of the glass petri dish within minutes and the water that had not taken on as much information stayed liquid for much longer. Ah. So I simply tip away the liquid and I photograph the crystallography that's on the glass dish. And that gives me a much more three-dimensional view. There's a lot more light that comes in. It's an entirely different, um, clearer look at the architecture of frozen water compared to the other primitive, completely freezing water um, beginning stages that I started with. And so I often show when I do visual podcasts the difference between the original hand image that I got and another one of my images which is from my new um, technique and they're, they're dramatically different. And so as I started to do this, I started to get clearer imagery and now as I've mentioned I have a body of over 16,000 photographs of water responding extremely intelligently um, in an artistic expression. So, for example, I also wanted to see if water could um, recognize peop different people's features. So I would use photographs, for example, of different people. And I would place my Petri dish of water on top of the photo for 30 seconds. People always ask me, why 30? I have no idea. I simply like that number. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't, doesn't actually have to be nearly as long as 30 seconds. I've done it for two seconds and still seen imagery. In fact, I think water knows what I'm going to uh, ask it before I even do. So there is a relationship that I've formed with what I... And I don't know if that water is even the right word, because when we think of water, we tend to think of liquid water. But yep. we're uh, in water right now. There's so much water in the air. Yes. And water is in these different stages. Yeah. So it's interesting just to kind of think about it in that way. But for me, water isn't just a spiritual teacher. Of, of it absolutely is in many ways. But it is a... Um, it really is a type of free consciousness in that it is free to, um, to respond in a type of, of, in a very conscious way. So there is, I often talk about water as the observer. So because what I can see is that water in its observer state is, does not involve judgment. So all of these things seem like a lot for a lot of people to absorb because I'm talking about water as if it's a person. But that's just to put into context of what is a person. And uh, that's a big question, but I'm going to do a very simple version of it. So if you boil down all the components of what makes something a living thing, any, pretty much nearly any living thing, especially humans, are made of salts, minerals, water, and consciousness. Even when you're cremated, the water will evaporate and the ashes that uh, remain from someone's body actually salts. So I would say that we're kind of made of these two seemingly immortal substances. So water can be polluted, but it doesn't die. It will simply transmute into a gas and then it will start to sort of reincarnate around. Uh, same with salt. Salt you put into water 
you can't see it anymore, it loses its structural boundaries, mm -hmm. but you can taste it in the water. And water is no longer fresh water, it's become saline. It's, they've married together. They look like, they, it looks like water, but it's slightly different in the sense that it's salt water and it has electrical charge. It has different kind of um, characteristics. And so when you kind of think about the idea that we are these kind of bodies of water, by molecular count, not by volume, you're 99% water. Wow. Even your even your island is ninety nine percent highly ordered structured water, and it's the only water. In fact, if we close our mouth, that we not including saliva, that we can actually see on the human body. Mm -hmm. And since eyes are the windows to the soul, it suggests that perhaps tears are an expression of spirit. And so recently, I've got into I've done a lot of radio shows and various different things and. Uh, people are, are often ask me about tears and what I think tears are. Mm -hmm. And so when you consider why we tend to cry, we might be very sad, we might be being tickled like crazy and we can't stop laughing and the tears are coming out. We might be in pain and physical pain, various different reasons for tears to come out, but there's usually an emotion that, that is coming with that. Yep. And so something is welling up. And so when you try to describe what is an emotion, what is a feeling, what, what is, what is ang can you show me anger? How does that look? Can you show me sadness? How does that look? So when you try to describe an emotion, it's very difficult because you could say, well, someone looks like, you know, like this when they're happy or like whatever. But they say you're trying to show them the features of the face. Yes, which yep. doesn't explain the emotion. It shows what we do from an emotion. No, we, we understand it through visuals, basically. So have you taken any samples of tears at all? I have. And I'll tell you what I saw in just a second. So what was going with that point was simply that tears, I think, are actual emotion that you can both see and touch and taste. So it is not... Um, something that people would commonly even think about. But after my observations of humans, of animals, and the reasons of why we cry, and that we are made of this incredibly intelligent, sophisticated um, fluids within us, within us, we say within us, we see the attachment to the body immediately. There is even so much water in the skin. When we cut ourselves, we leak. Yeah. We bodies of of literal bodies of water and so do not identify ourselves because we are, when we look into the mirror with our fourth eyes water eyes we see something we consider to be solid and yet we're only an emotion away from leaking we're only a cut away from leaking we're only an exercise away from sweating and all the other kinds of things that leak from us urine and various things so but we just don't because if we look at the casing. So when I um, captured tears, I was cutting an onion, and nearly always I have a petri dish of water on my on my bench somewhere, and so I I thought not to miss out on a, an opportunity. So <laughs> I uh, I collected the tears um, in the dish of water and froze it, and the image that I got was basically my iris pupil in it 
So it was a very clear image of the visual of what my eye looks like. And so that was a really beautiful indicator of water, because of, of water seeing me or seeing where it came from, knowing what it's been in touch yeah. with. Mm -hmm. There have been studies of different structural formations from different emotions of tears that have formed um, microscopically, and you can look at those. Um, but what interests me more, and that's just because of the way I see the world, it's not a judgment of right or wrong, it's because I see these things artistically that I say that, is that when I see that water has created the, the, the iris, it's a very interesting observation to see that water designed something from, from where it passed through. So AI going back to the microscopic work that people have done of looking at different tear structures, um, you can do uh, the human body. It's in the human body share so much about a person, much more than people realize. For example, you can take something called, as a woman, you can take something called a, um, a, a saliva kit, a test for ovulation, and you spit uh, onto this little piece of glass, and then you wait for it to dry, and you look at it through a magnifying glass. And there are these three stages. The first stage, you don't really see very much. And the second stage, you start to see there is a transition starting to happen where there's a structure starting to form that look a little and then when you're fertile, it will the sample will look all there'll be all these ferns in the in the frozen saliva, and our body can tell us such a lot about ourselves, um, and it, through these fluids, even down to urine. I recently did a talk on a podcast for people that are doing urine therapy, and because mm -hmm. I've done studies on urine, and I studied myself because it's easy to get and so I um, observed and took photographs of um, water at the beginning of my cycle all the way through and I observed that there was a very defined pattern for the beginning of the cycle the first cycle and the end of the cycle through urine and so as we start to recognize that our bodily fluids can share such a lot of information then it's an interesting thing then to look at water outside of the body. We tend to associate intelligence with the body. It's interesting, someone once posed a question to me and suggested, what if water is sharing its, expressing its consciousness through us and through every living thing on this planet to observe itself from every single different perspective? Mm. And so I, I, as I ponder that question, I guess there are a lot of people ask me another, they ask me this question. They say, is, uh, is your consciousness impacting the water so that it, it changes in its structural, um, in these structures? <clears throat> and in the beginning, I might have thought that maybe that was true. But I think it's much, much, much more than that. I think that <clears throat> it's, from, for me, having worked with water so intimately for such a long time, I look at things from an artistic point of view, and I see things from a very conscious point of view. You could slash that with spirituality um, if you wanted to. As I look at the entire, kind of all of these threefold perspectives, I think then I can present to people the opportunity to 
look at the work and decide for themselves how they want to see it. For people that struggle with being able to see the fact that water has picked up every different feature of every single face I've ever given it of a person, and they're like, yeah, but no, no, that's just freaky. I don't like it. That, make, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I, I don't know how that's possible. It must be some crazy, weird voodoo magic. <laughs> people, people think all kinds of stuff. So I suggest to them, simply look at it as art then. Yeah. Water has designed these amazing images. How amazing is that? That takes the, how is this possible out? You get to ask yourself, what does this image look like to me? What does this image mean to me? So it doesn't lose its value simply by being dismissed. And then when you look at it from a conscious or spiritual perspective and see that water is designing in ways of which seem so remarkable, and then you can consider what is consciousness, what is water conscious, and, and kind of go down that realm of thinking. What's your definition of consciousness? I think that um, there is one consciousness, and we all to experience our own self-awareness. This is not just about being able to um, recognize yourself in the mirror or to be uh, aware that, that there's a sense of I. Uh, that's why I, I talk about water as the observer, um, mainly because what I see within the body, for example, it's just, just give you some analogies and then so it makes the point a little easier. The tool that I've used over the years is uh, for life generally, is that when I am feeling, when I'm triggered or I'm having a, 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 an emotional response to something that seems more than it should be, um, I will observe myself having that emotion and that, that emotional response. I'm able to do that. I think we're, we're all able to be the observers of ourselves. And when you learn and train yourself to observe yourself when you're having a meltdown, for example, yeah. the, the observer simply goes, oh, I wonder when the first time you ever felt like that was. Mm -hmm. I wonder why you might be feeling like this. Mm -hmm. It's not in, there's no amount of pointing a finger at this is a right or wrong. There is none of that. And so... There is an, we have the ability to observe ourselves from various different perspectives. Now, in a human body, uh, again, bringing it outside of the amount of volume of water we are, which can differ depending on our size, weight, age, etc., we all have this kind of um, molecular count. Essentially, by 99% in another perspective, that means that there are more water molecules in your body than there are stars in the Milky Way. Wow. So that's, that's a lot. And so we don't really know anything much. We don't learn about water outside of the very, very standard stuff about water in schools. We're missing out on learning something quite spectacular about ourselves. I, and I'm one of up that the way that water is communicating, and I can see a great way to inform us when you were talking about the... Um, the female cycle and how the water changes throughout that. The water could inform us of the state of the body um, mm -hmm. and what's going on. So we could use it as a way to 
to monitor our health, it would be a great informant rather than a lot of invasive stuff that's actually going on. Do you see that? Oh, I definitely see that being able to happen. Um, people are starting to, uh, that, I, that have contacted me over the last year who are brilliant um, at designing and creating things and um, are starting working on putting some technology together based on the work that I've been doing mm. where someone could actually completely lie in some of water, not like a bath and like a thin layer of water in the front and the back. And actually it's like water is taking an energetic x-ray of you in a way and is able to um, reveal information. And I, I have a work that I'm doing um, which is very much about understanding that information called hydroglyphs and I want to get into that in a minute but I kind of like to get back to that point where I'm talking about water and as the observer. So in the human body, as a physical body, we have this fight or flight tendency to protect and, and to keep the body alive. Mm -hmm. And within that aspect of humanity where we, are, we will um, kind of react to stop ourselves from getting hurt and we will kind of um, do what we can to stop from, from dying on the whole generally. And so there is this kind of protectiveness of the vessel of the body. And within that protectiveness of the vessel of the body can sometimes come fear of losing it. And so a lot of people have a lot of fear around dying. And so one of the things that I've done over the last few years, I've also interviewed many people that have had near-death experiences. Mm -hmm. And I've been curious about that because I wanted to know if water played a role in that in any way. And it seems that it does, and, and, and I think in one of the most profound ways. So, because I have seen two types of water in the dish, this informed and uninformed water appear, yeah. um, I've also seen it happen in various other forms. For example, I've seen egg white has two different types of water in it. This gelatinous, gloopy type of part, which is the protein to the bird. It's a fourth, perfect example of fourth phase water. It stretches, it's gloopy. But then there's another type of, of, of this kind of water in the albumin, which is more like saliva. And that saliva is the equivalent of the informed water and the gelatinous part of the egg white equivalent is the uninformed. You freeze the saliva-like part of the albumin of, within a bird egg, you see that it forms these very specific patterns which I've identified. And this, the interesting part of that is there are six patterns that I've identified from the Freeman. But when you do this work with hens that have been caged, at the very best, it can only form one or two of those patterns. And often it doesn't form pattern, which really suggests that trauma can deeply affect even through into the albumin of the egg and the information is being shared with the embryo. Mm -hmm. And so as I start to see there's two types of water in water, and even if you bring a spiritual aspect into it and look at the Maori word for spirit is wairua, which means two waters. Yeah. Again, there is the idea that there are two types of waters within the body. And so I see these as uh, a type of essence water, or you could say spiritual water, which is always with us. And then there would be a kind of 
um, organic water, or I would say bulk water, that we drink, that flows through us, which also leaves the body. And there must be freedom in some ways. I think that's why we, um, we do excrete. There is a release from that body every time we urinate, that water is going back to, will eventually go back to source. It's not the most, in our minds, we're like, oh God, who'd want to go down the toilet? But, but that's our very, um, that's our way of thinking. Yeah. And so there is, must be a sense of freedom being released from the body and all of what we, we have going on inside of this because so often everything within the human body is actually um, related to this kind of feeling of being the body. We really have a feeling and a, and a belief system that gets, goes on and even in the way that we're taught in schools and various things that, yes, of course you're a body. Look, you can feel it, you can touch it, you know, you have all of these different things. But I would say there is a, that maybe look a little further into that because I say to children when I do teach um, in school sometimes, if your skin was invisible and your organs were see-through, what would you look like? Yeah. And they always come back to being tributaries and streams and waterfalls and various things in a human shape that just move within a human-shaped body. And so it is an interesting thing to consider. So the part where I, I next will go, I Before will say that this is my theory. There, I'm, I'm intrigued as, because when you were talking about the hens and the different types of water within the egg white, um, and the battery hens, I was thinking, you know, with these ex, um, experiments of, of human lying in water, how much um, the external environment, because as you say, we are surrounded by water. We, it is, we are part, part of a big matrix and, um, and our external environment affects our internal environment. And so it would be really interesting to see that, you know, for, for me, say, you know, my happy place is near the seaside, other people are near trees and things, and how um, different environments will actually affect the body. Have you done any work along those lines? Uh, to a degree. I haven't done them from, because um, from, I don't have a, a way yet to have like a ginormous, you know, human shaped like dish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always a way. Uh, but uh, I think it's very much proven that environment um, can change how people feel. Environment always will change how you feel because you're responding to it. You have a liquid and antenna. Yeah. So you are taking in information and you're also giving out information. Mm -hmm. But there are two worlds, the world we live on and the world we live in. Yes. And if you consider that everything you ever experience, this is... A, like kind of a big thing anything you ever experience in the world is experienced within yourself yes. everything you see is taken inward from the lens of the eyes everything you hear is going inside of your body to hear sound everything you touch is felt through the fingers everything you taste is is felt through the tongue and so you know you have all these senses but all of the senses allow you to within yourself within this within this body and how do we feel we feel through this kind of watery realm that lives within the body so to say we are only the external 
the, 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 but you know, that's not necessarily wrong because there is water in the body, there is minerals in the body, there is spirit in the body. And so when, where I was going to, which I think makes more sense of that, is the idea that there is the spirit water, this essence water that is always with us, that is the observer of us, of us the, the higher part of us. And then there is the water that moves through the body. I think that when that essence water um, exits the body, uh, whether upon death or because that happens and then the body dies, that the way that that might happen is that as a fluid it might change from a fluid into some kind of vibrational vapor and that basically when a gas cools, um, it, when, when a gas expands it cools mm -hmm. and so a lot of people feel spirit as cold yeah. and so I think because water, there's at least 70% of water on the surface of earth not including the primary water which is inside the earth's mantle they uh, the science tells us that it came from asteroids and meteorites making it an alien substance by which we have no idea where it actually originally came from there's something uh, well over 60 different anomalous properties what doesn't make sense it's the rebel element it defies the laws of physics and gravity by expanding when it when it cools and climbing upwards through trees. It's very interesting because when you take apart what the components of water are, you look at it as being oxygen and hydrogen. Hydrogen is levity and oxygen is gravity. And so hydrogen is a feminine, these two feminine aspects, and oxygen is masculine. And so they come together to create life. So it's creation. So a lot of people say to me, is water female or male? Like we often talk about it as very feminine, kind of emotional aspect. But I actually think it's perfectly balanced. Yeah. And so that's kind of an interesting one. But I say all of that because I think that if you consider we know so little really about water and we're still figuring stuff out, there is probably many more stages than four that I've described. I think that there are many more. And I think that water probably can, certain types of water probably can go from a liquid into a gas without needing to be boiled to become a vapor. And so the idea that spirit can leave that way is again the idea that we then released from the cage of the body. And sometimes we never think about the the, the, the body is maybe being a cage or at least the very least a vessel because we feel so free in many ways in it free to move maybe not as much these days but that's again a sense of, a, a sense of frame of framework of mind because you know it, it is that kind of thing of like if we're really if we're a free thinking person um, again I I I, I tend to bring a lot of these things into um, different analogies and it's interesting when you look at Victor Schauberger's work. Victor Schauberger, he was really a, a, just such a, a brilliant, brilliant um, man and his work with implosion and explosion, everybody kind of has learned so much from his work. Um, but one of the things that is less known about him is that 
he had a very intimate relationship with her. There were times where he would sit by a little um, stream and he would, he would become completely entranced and then he would actually become unconscious and he would wake up and he realized something and he, he talks about it. He said that water took his, and this is using that term, water took his free consciousness and, and it took it on a journey and then brought it back to him filled with all of the information about what water liked, what temperature it liked, how it liked to be cool rather than too hot, all these different interesting things about water. And Victor Schauberger went on to do some incredible, incredible work with anti-gravity devices and all kinds of various things. And he said that he ended up um, being a, 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 he said he was a searcher, he became a researcher using his free consciousness, sending it out on these expeditions with water. And so he has stated, he believes that, that water is conscious, that it is a living. And so, you know, he was a, also a very practical and a very brilliant man and an observer of nature. And so, you know, you start looking at these different things and then I see that um, after speaking to, I think, a, a mutual friend, I'm pretty sure you know, Hone, I interviewed him and his heart had stopped beating for nearly 30 minutes. And when he, him and two other people that I've interviewed, they have said that they felt themselves rising, which is what a gas does. They felt this essence of who they are rising and observing them, their body being resuscitated instantly have no connection whatsoever to the identity of the body and they're looking down and they're saying oh I hope that person's going to be okay and then the interesting about thing about um, Hone was that after he transitioned from that stage and went through a kind of middle stage which I won't get into uh, he came out to this um, beautiful place where he was met by his grandfather and I think his grandmother and his son who had passed and um, he said that, that it was very beautiful there was like it was like a heaven on earth like a garden of Eden and it, there were beautiful trees and mountains and there was a beautiful um, stream and he looked in the water it was very clear there was on the mountain but the most interesting interesting thing he told me was that when he ended up having to decide to go back and he was talking to his grandfather, he got down on his knees and he started to cry. And he saw tears splash on his grandfather's feet. I'm like, oh, there are even tears and the subtle body can create tears. How interesting is that? And so this power of tears and this interesting idea of water being actually emotion is a very interesting thing to start to consider. And so then um, the idea then that is that he went from being in the body and these people, they went from being in the body and changing uh, into a different form where they couldn't be seen much like the air. Yeah. And again, there's water in the air. Uh, and then instantly observing themselves without judgment. And so that ties in with the concept that I have that water outside of the body 
and also in the essence part of our body is the observer. And so it would be very interesting to do a kind of slit experiment like they do for quantum physics to see whether, because it suggests that the, an observer has to be present for something different to happen. And yeah. so if you had like a glass of water in the room and used that as the observer to see whether or not the, ex the experiment would do something different, it would be a very interesting thing to do. Mm. Kind of leads on to the other aspect of your work where water is actually communicating that nature is communicating and it's the hydrographics that you're working with now i call them hydroglyphs because hydroglyphs. they're very, very very similar to to hieroglyphs in a few ways the way that they're similar is that for example, firstly, I'll just tell you what a hydroglyph is for people that have never heard of them before because it's relatively new work that I've been doing. And so in the beginning, I am with my work with water, I, as you've heard, I was getting a lot of different imagery. Mm. But Jerry Pollack suggested that, um, that my repeated studies are very important. And so I used music a lot for repeat studies because you can use same piece of music over and over again and I would leave the room and let the music play and then you freeze it and photograph it and so for the sound of om for example I've got examples in my book and on my social media I share a lot of stuff very freely um, is you can see that the sound of om forms these sort of rings that almost look like the rings inside of a tree trunk and each one has formed a very similar pattern I will tell you that water doesn't replicate photocopies is actually more as if you had a group of artists in a room and everyone said draw this glass of water everyone would draw the glass of water but they would be slightly different yeah, yeah. and so there are obviously some differences but the actual uh, design is the same so the so the, the, it all had the same kind of rings for the sound of om as one example um, Emoto's work showed um, music, for example, in just uh, in, in very contrasting way, it suggested that water only liked classical studies or only resonated with classical studies, uh, uh, classical music, sorry, um, whereas it hated heavy metal. And um, because the classical music formed beautiful geometries and heavy metal really stru struggled to form any structure at all. And I would suggest that the person that did the test didn't like heavy metal yes and so my son has said to me mum but like if I'm only listening to um, rap because he likes rap yeah and I'm not listening to classical music because I don't like it then is the water like hating it in my body and I'm like no I don't believe that that's true at all I think that water simply expresses to do it to different sounds and music it's like a dancer in many ways communicating that um, it is resonating with the body and we could take it as a way to um, sustain um, harmony within the body um, and it's a clue as to um, what um, upsets the body and puts it out of um, you know it becomes disease well, you know, but you have to look at it without judgment too, which, which is what water always teaches me about, is that 
we have an idea of what's right based on what we like and what we've been taught. What I keep finding about water is that it doesn't judge, it expresses, it moves to different sounds and frequencies. And so I did a whole genre of music. I did um, everything from classical to reggae to R&B to electronic dance to African drumming to chanting to rap and all kinds of stuff. And I saw water reveal itself in so many different expressions. Mm -hmm. We're a kaleidoscope of people in the world, and that's what makes us so interesting. You know, and I think that, yes, we do find some waters that, some music and sounds that really calm us and resonate for us. But there's other people in the world that just want to rock on. Absolutely. And that's where, what they love, and that makes them feel good. And so I think it's just about finding what truly resonates for you and being really, really honest about it. Yeah. And if you are, you know, stuck in one genre, then why are you only listening to one genre? What is the real reason behind that? And what, what could you feel if you allow yourself to be open to other types of music? Mm -hmm. And you, you know, just ask yourself some more questions around it. And so what I am saying, where I'm going with this, is that one of the um, repeats I did was with the song Stairway to Heaven. And so in the ice, I would always see this stairway, this staircase appear. And so it was very interesting because I did like, you know, 10 or 12 um, to share in my, in, with my work and my book for my repeated studies. And I'm like, I did different I actually for this for stairway to heaven I did it over the course of six or eight months and I just did different different um, used different petri dishes used the same song and I would always see the same image I even used different waters and I still see this image and I began to wonder I wonder if this actually means stairway is water simply like resonating to the word so water doesn't read words it reads the energy of the word whether it's spoken or written and so I I'm like okay well let's see so I wrote the word stairway and I got the stairway and I did it again and I got the stairway and then I did it 50 times and so to get one hydroglyph which is an essentially a, um, a picture, an image that is recognizable in ice that has a meaning, I have to have done, seen the same response to the same influence at least 50 times. Wow. So it isn't, uh, it is repeatable and it isn't coincidental. Mm. And so I thought, okay, well, I know that that is a glyph for this, for stairway, but what, what else could it mean? Is that, or is it stuck at just one meaning? Well, what do you do with a stairway? You climb up it. So I wrote climb up and did that 50 times and I got the same hydroglyph. So I understood that that was one of the layers of meaning. And so the similarities with hieroglyphs is that they are sharing a concept. So these, these picture words or picture conceptual meanings really actually sharing a lot of information, not just in the way that we, for example, if someone sends you a text message and you read the message and they say, oh, I met you at so-and-so at this time and blah, 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 or whatever, 
and at the end of the message they share a kissy face and a heart when you see the kissy face and the heart you read that because those images say something different to reading it through language yeah and yeah. so pictures speak like there's a, there's a reason why it says a picture speaks a thousand words mm -hmm. and that is the language i have found of water so i have 31 hydroglyphs and many of them i've discovered their layered meanings it's taken me three and a half years to do all of this work to actually get only through only 31 however it takes such a long time and such a big commitment to do but um, but it's a very important work and so I was giving a talk to someone the other day and I was talking about hydroglyphs and one of the analogies or one of the examples I gave was the dagger glyph so a lot of people will say to me well how can can water understand different languages and again this is um, where I would say that water it's it, of course it, it's not that water is just thinking like we do because we can struggle we don't know every single language in the world we know our language maybe two or three or four at maximum more few people maybe more but we certainly don't understand every language in the world but <clears throat> water isn't every single person in the world and so the idea that water or to think that water is thinking the way we do is, is a, I think a not the way to think because it's not what I see what I see is that water is its own sort of sovereign set sort of fluid consciousness and that <clears throat> excuse me I'm just getting over a cold still and that um, and that it is able to reveal things that you couldn't have known or had couldn't have projected and that takes away the idea that I'm influencing the water when water can actually influence me by what it's sharing yeah. and so it changes that dynamic of thought greatly and so when I use the and so for any other language water simply reads the energy of the words or energy of the words we put together in whatever language that might be but to in the early stages I was just taking different people's suggestions and doing them because the more people can see the the more people start to get oh this is really interesting what's what's happening here As and you so I wrote at the beginning it's um peaking people's <clears throat> curiosity yeah and that's why I teach it people can learn how to do the technique I help them get that stage of freezing just right in my workshops I share the hydroglyphs so people can start recognizing messages in water I'm not holding any of this back I'm sharing it with everyone so that we well, can I'll share all... all the links and things on on the show notes but is there any um any particular thing that um, the listeners can do to uh, build a better connection to water I am um, people say when was the first time you really connected with water and I'll say water is there's never been a time that I haven't been connected to water because we are all bodies of water and without water there is no life yeah so taking that kind of obvious thing out of the way um, I, I, I have found and one of the exciting things because I'm being filmed for a mini series and there are three other people that are currently part of that and 
they their stories are the reason of so why I do this. When they started to see water as actually communing with them, they went from kind of having a kind of idea in their mind that they're connected to water to have a very deep, intimate relationship and respect for what their ancestors have taught and knew about water as well. Mm -hmm. It changes you when you start doing this work in that you start to not just see water as something that's just that takes away your waste and hydrates you and you bathe in. You start to see that actually this is like a little bit of the divine that we can we can all do. It takes the um, it decentralizes the idea that only I can do this. It shares it with the people. Yeah. And when you really start to see it for yourself, it does change how you feel about water. One of the ladies, she's from um, Slovenia. One of the reasons I'm working with people around this is to show that this is a global language and they're helping me to, uh, the hydroglyphs, they're helping me discover new layers of meaning and they're sharing their own work. Um, and so she said for six months of doing technique, she thought water wasn't talking to her. She was like, oh, water doesn't want to talk to me, like when she felt so distraught. And then when she learnt about these hydroglyphs and she looked back at all the pictures she'd taken, she felt so bad, she realised that water had been talking to her the entire time. And it is a, we, sometimes when you see my work and you see, oh, she's getting all these faces and she's getting, like, ask water a question, like, who do, who, do you know my name? And water will reveal my initials so clearly in the eyes that it's almost like a new and improved version of exactly how I write my initials. Yeah. I've said to water, can you connect to my mum? She died in 1999. And when I used to live in Japan, we would write to each other. Um, and at the end of every letter, or some kind of circles were always look more like misshapen rotis. And there'd be a heart in the middle. And she died, like I said, quite some time ago now. And so when I asked Water to connect with her, uh, image in the ice was of a misshapen circle with a heart in the middle. So it was very, very beautiful. But it shows that Water is past the just this realm. There are many, many realms that it's in. And so uh, from that idea, I think that um, that, that really, I think, the relationship to form with water is also forming relationship with yourself. It, you can't go on this path without beginning to see that you're a body of water. Mm -hmm. And if you're a body of water, what kind of water do you want to be? And that your thoughts are such powerful things. And that you are able to transform the way the water feels. In your, so water has its own state of um, kind of emotional state of health and mm -hmm. I've been able to identify this because when for a while in my professional capacity I worked for some people and my job was to identify the crystallographic patterns of different types of water and tap water for example forms very kind of disordered patterns whereas spring water taken directly from source will form these beautiful hexagonal shapes and it might form these fern-like patterns and these flower-like patterns. 
So if you use tap water as your control, usually yeah. it has got plenty of um, heavy metal and fluoride or chlorine, various different things that we've put into it. Mm -hmm. um, what will happen is when you put, for example, that into a Tibetan singing bowl and you play the bowl and you, you pour some of that into the Petri dish and freeze it, what you'll see is a dramatic change. You'll see that water has started to fern, it has started to create hexagon shapes. Right. And what you're seeing is that the structures dramatically improved. And so what that means is that even though chemically the water changed, something has changed. Yeah. And it's that's and I get I say that it's an emotional state of health because I believe that water really is emotion. And so if you're a person who is sick, it's kind of like the tap water, you could identify that as being sick. If the person that is sick, you have the ability to be happy or sad. And if you give yourself some love, like you put a singing bowl on your stomach or you go to a sound bath or you have a massage or do something nice for yourself, yep. it's going to make you feel better and help you heal that little bit more. Change it's a little the structure of your own of your own body. But if you were to like um, take a glass of water, because people are always trying to think how they can imprint that water to improve themselves. And I think how can you imprint yourself to improve your the water that's going to, to improve the environment that that water is going to enter. Yeah, yeah. It's how I have think about water. Yeah. So yes, you can vortex the water. You can simply get a spoon and stir it, and it's the shape of an eight. You can get one of those things that helps to um, the whisk thing to froth up milk, and that forms a very nice vortex in the water that makes the water. Um, vortex, which is how water likes to move because water doesn't like going through right angles, um, which is clear in the crystallography that I see. One of the most interesting things, because I've spent a lot of time in India in the villages, um, and there it's not about what kind of water shall I get, it's more like what kind of water can we get. Yes. And so they have to find ways to make their water clean. And so I observed some of the older women um, that were there, and often saris are made of different materials, but they're quite often made of silk. And so the women that had silk saris were actually filtering the water through their saris. Wow. They would put them over a, a, like a cup and let the water pour through the silk sari. And so even Rudolf Steiner talks about filtering water through silk as being one of the most amazing things you can do for water. And I'm working on a project to bring that out to the people so that's, that, that that's something that people can use. Um, and I would say if you are looking to buy a water, um, firstly, see if you can collect it. See if there is a place in America, there's a place called Find, there's a thing called Finder Spring. I, it might even be worldwide. We make sure that the water is healthy but I know that there is a place when I used to live in New Zealand um, in Snell's Beach where it's called Duck Creek and you can go there and there's a community tap and it's from a lovely aquifer, it's a, an 8.9 pH, it's like a really nice water um, and when you go and collect water for yourself 
there's a very different experience than when just buy it off a shelf. And you're connected. You, there's a connection that forms. And there's a pilgrimage that kind of happens. You're on the way to collect your own water mm. for your own health. There, you would have to have a reason to go and collect your own water yeah. Yeah. because you believed it was better for you. My preference is, um, is spring water. I like water that has a higher natural pH. I like water in the eights and early nines. Um, and of, of pH stands for power or potential of hydrogen. But the, when you have a natural spring water, the minerals, usually there's a lot of bicarb in, in there or lime, for example, that will actually make the water more alkaline. So it's become naturally alkaline based on the minerals that it has and salts that it's been in touch with. And obviously make sure that it's safe to drink but, um, if you're collecting it. But when I go to stores, for example, here in America there's um, a water called Mountain Valley. It's in a dark green glass bottle and they, they, they bottle its source. And, um, and it has a, quite a high um, total dissolved solid, which, is, which, which essentially is how many minerals, dissolved minerals and salts and things that it has within it. And the higher the TDS, often the higher the pH, um, depending on what the mineral content is. And so there is a nice sort of taste about it. Um, I like glass. I, I particularly like dark glass, mainly because if the water is a living water, essentially, if it's been clicked directly from a spring, water doesn't like to be in artificial light, nor does it particularly like direct sunlight. So when the water is held in a dark glass bottle, my preference is blue over all, all colors, including the beautiful kind of deep purples and blacks that you can get um, is that it actually uh, the the artificial light um, isn't directly going into the water and if you can store your water in a dark cupboard um, in glass that's the best place for it it's in a darker place if you can get there are these um, water eggs which essentially Victor Schauberger's work talks about how water likes to be stored essentially they um, they're in the shape of an egg and they have like a little stand and if you um, they're called amphoras so in the old old days people would store salt and um, natron and rice and various things in these shapes because they would keep for much longer and sometimes wow. they were very long urn shapes but um, essentially they were kind of an egg shape um, so I would, I would say that. A lot of people ask me about um, distilled water. I, I don't use distilled water in any of my work because I found it just doesn't give me complex imagery. And the reason for that is because the minerals in the salts that are in natural spring water or most natural waters um, are not present. And if you think that salt is a crystal and crystals information and all our technology holding and storing information and we are not a freshwater body we're a salt water body mm -hmm. and that salt is electrical in nature and so there is this idea that um, that it's the salt within our body that stores and holds a cellular memory um, and so when water is lacking these salts and minerals it's much more only just in the observer space so it's not storing and holding a lot of information. 
one of the reasons I use glass petri dishes and plastic because they're mostly made of silica and that's essentially a crystal and it helps store in the water, store information longer. So um, hope those little tidbits can be helpful. Awesome. Thank you. Yes, because I mean, when you were talking early on about the petri dishes, I was going to ask, um, is there a particular um, type of petri dish? But you've answered that question for me. So I just I mean, we could talk for absolutely hours because it's fascinating, but I do need to round things off and I've got some um, just four quick fire questions. I mean, you've talked about the um, various people that have influenced you, but is there a particular book or person that has influenced you at all? Oh, book. I've, I, I love the autobiography of a yogi and I also love, um, oddly, the classical story, The Odyssey. Right. Um, the autobiography of a yogi about the Yogananda uh, was a book I think recommend anyone read really it, it kind of shared a very intimate journey, um, of spiritual discovery and uh, spiritual um, understanding of oneself and the nature of the world and he is so humble in his approach non-judgmental very kind and loving and shows that when you have faith, you can have absolutely, you can go out, no money, no nothing, and you know that everything will work out. Mm. And in much of his journeys, you see that, you see that faith attracts everyone you need into your life. Great the surrender, just that surrender. Um, the Odyssey I loved because I've always loved the idea of, well, just, just the, the whole story about, um, Odysseus and this massive journey he had and all his experiences to finally get back to his love and uh, Penelope and how long she waited this long-suffering poor woman that just had to like try to fend off all of these um, suitors who were trying to like marry her so they could take over this kingdom and how she kept holding out for Odysseus for something in the region of 20 years when her, their son grew up to become a young man before he ever came back. And, and I, there was a part in that story that I loved the most and I first ever read it when I was about 14 and I loved it then and I love it now. And it said that the, when finally Odysseus and Penelope finally were together after all of the turmoil they'd been through, um, the son, uh, and because the, there's the, the son God and he has this chariot that he takes across the sky. Um, he he didn't come up for very for, for he he stayed down longer and longer so that they could have a longer evening together so they sleep together for just that much bit longer and the, how how even the the heavenly gods of the the moon and the sun decided that they would give them longer to be together after such a long time and there was such a intimacy in that that I enjoyed. Awesome. You were talking earlier about the way that music in, um, influences water. Um, is there a particular type of music that um, influences and or energizes you? Hmm. Um, there is a, a beautiful piano piece of music that I love called Magenta and um, I, I really enjoy that but I like all different kinds of music. Um, Sometimes I'm in the mood to listen to Bob Marley because he's a, like a feel-good guy. Every time I hear Bob, it's like chills me out and I feel good. 
Um, but I, I, well, I like to a lot of soul music. Um, there's a song I love. It's called Let It Be Me by Nina Simone. Yeah. And it's just such a beautiful classic piece of music. So do you have a favorite quote? I have a couple, I suppose. Um, one of them is that even at your best, you'll never be enough for the wrong person. And even at your worst, you'll always be enough for the right person. Wow, that's profound. Uh, I also like the one which says, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So finally, to round it off, um, if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be and why? Um, you know, I asked my daughter that question this morning. It was interesting. She said I wouldn't change anything because this is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Fascinating. And how old is yeah. your daughter? She's 11. Wow. And she's well aware, she's well aware of what's going on in the world. Wow. So it's, it's interesting. So I thought I'd share that with you. Um, coming from a more adult perspective, I suppose, uh, it's, there's always so many things we, would, we think we'd change about the world. But I think, if anything, um, I would love for people to be able to see, everyone to be able to see um, the divinity within themselves. Mm. Because I think so often we're so caught up in what's wrong with us that we forget about what's right with us. It's the cage, and, you were talking about the cage of the body, it's really the cage of the mind. Yeah, mm. yeah, it definitely is. Um, it's it's very hard because um, we 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 are always looking too. It's so easy because the mind the mind always goes to what's wrong because it's trying to protect you, but the heart will go to what's right and stay in gratitude. Yeah. Heart and be in a place where they saw themselves and every other living creature is a divine sacred being. I think. I think that would be a really wonderful place to be. And just really, I mean, that is beautiful because, I mean, I really um, give gratitude to the water that we have. And before you um, drink it, um, just pay respect to it and be grateful for it um, and everything around us in nature. Um, fantastic, Vida. It's been absolutely um, mind-blowingly um the depth and breadth of your work um, continues to grow throughout the nearly 10 years perhaps that I've known you and I wish you well for everything and and I'll put all your um, links and things so that people can discover more about your work and um, get involved if they like to so thank mm. you so much take care thank you Philippa bye-bye I cannot let this week pass without acknowledging the passing of Archbishop Desmond Tutu who was instrumental in helping get marine protection for the Ross Sea Antarctica in 2016. He believed the destruction of the Earth's environment is the human rights challenge of our time and that when you destroy the natural world, you create conditions for conflict, but when you protect it, you create conditions for peace. I invite you to project those sentiments into the coming new year and make a commitment to create the change you want to see. You'll have to wait and see what wisdom next week's guest will reveal. So until then, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, 
live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential.